We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to the Advanced Sports Analytics Show here on rotogrinders.com. Uh, I'm filling in again once uh, once for uh, Travis Mangone. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender Ed, Blender HD on Twitter and on Rotogrinders. Travis, I don't know where he's traveling to or what creepy relative's room he's going to be recording whatever shows he's doing this week from. But but I'm but I'm back again with uh, with Stuart Gibson from ASA. How was, how was your week last week? Uh... Not so great. I was I was off uh, I was off Carson and uh, Saquon uh, to go with just some different guys. Fournette being one of those, and uh, didn't do great. Um, I don't know. I took kind of a, a higher upside, lower floor lineup. Hit with some guys like McLaurin, um, but you know, uh, I've just been the 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 the, the slide since Thanksgiving uh, continues on. So uh, hopefully it can right the ship here in week 16 my my week came down to picking the right jaguars wide receiver either the one that scored two touchdowns or the one that didn't score two touchdowns i picked the one that didn't yeah so i lost here. Here. <laughs> <laughs> essentially that's what it came down to because i in, in catch i faded carson as well i played barkley instead i played mm. the barkley uh mccaffrey type type of lineup with uh with pat with patrick Laird, but he got me seven points and uh, you know everything. Everything looked fine, other than like I play. It was the matter of Westbrook in a defense or Conley in a defense uh, was my two v two, and uh, and I chose wrong. So, so that, that's yeah. that's really really what it came down to. It, it, Westbrook could have caught those two touchdowns, or they at least if it would have been even one each, like 
I would have won. I mean, it came down to like bubbling up a lot of double ups by, by just a little bit. But for the most part, uh, you know, Barkley ended up doing better than Carson. And I, I mean, I didn't play all three of them together. Uh, but I just, uh, you know, it the, the Barkley-Fournette conversation, because Fournette was on my radar. I did play him in GPP. It just comes down to, I view, like the long-term, like running back uh, performance. I mean, I'm sure you've done the research that from a long-term sample, that the ones that are at home and favored are going to perform. There's a correlation between that and their fantasy points. So when given the choice between two, Barkley was home and favored. Fournette was on the road and not favored. I know Fournette has, you know, that target volume or whatever. Like if it's a coin flip, I'm going to choose the one, the home favorite running back and just go with that. Yeah, I think with Barkley, there's an interesting uh, consideration of just like how long a form do you want to take when considering a player? And I think we've actually talked about this more mid-season and, and uh, you know, our, our models are using last 300 days, which effectively says, uh, you know, once you reach November, uh, let's consider uh, players' performance to date in the given season as kind of the baseline for, uh, you know, what their efficiency metrics are per touch, uh, you know, per, per rush, per target. And uh, in the first half of the season, let's use a mix of uh, their efficiency performance in the second half of the previous season and what they're accumulating to date in the current season. And uh, yeah, Barkley is like one of those guys where um, I think that 300 day window, which is uh, perhaps a bit on the short side. I mean, I, I could, you know, I think there's viability using like a full calendar year or even the last two seasons. Um, you know, Barkley's efficiency has been quite bad this year. And uh, when you, remove any sort of uh, longer form performance metrics like uh, from the previous year. He doesn't look like a very strong running back, but if you kind of, uh, you know, the return of Eli Manning and maybe, you know, had, had some reason to believe that there was a, you know, he, he could benefit from some efficiency boost with that. Uh, you know, it's uh, I think he, he probably would have shown up a little better in our models. Um, yeah. Gr- well, I'm, gr- just, I'm just, I'm just using the game theory aspect of like, now, I'm not using, like, Barkley as a person or Carson as a person. I'm just using insert running back as that price for the past 20 years in fantasy scoring and just, like, home favorites with higher totals, outperform ones. Like, don't even be biased by, like, well, Barkley's been bad this season. Carson has yeah, any sure. Like, just it, the projection is close enough mm-hmm. that, like, when in doubt, I'm – just going to go with the data from God knows how big on just running backs in general and yeah. favor the the home favored ones with higher totals than the road underdog ones with lower ones. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I understand exactly what you're saying about what with the form or anything, but sometimes, sometimes I try to dumb it down even further and go like at the end of the day, I think Barkley gets as many opportunities as Carson, uh, I just disregard like it, it's an opportunity. So if they're if, if you tell me they're both going to get twenty four touches, um, and Fournette is going to get twenty four touches, like I'm going to side with the ones that are just home favorites and for cash games at least, and then just just go with the the fact that that typically bears out true over the course of multiple years. Yep. So for 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 this week, uh, we're going to skip the three game Saturday slate. Uh, from from a GPP perspective on that slate, if, if you're watching this, uh, ownership's going to be condensed. People are going to flock to certain players. Feel free to, in the large, large, large tournaments, 
Uh, just be different and just get lucky. Like to, to me, that's my attitude going into Saturday. It's like people are going to look at that, that, that Texans and uh, the Hopkins and the Watson combinations. And I'm going to do just like I did on Thanksgiving and, and stack uh, and like I did with David Blau and just stack the, the lowest total team. Cause you never know what's going to happen. So at least that's what I would recommend if you're playing the large field GPPs on Saturday, but on Sunday, we got a normal slate. We got, you know, 11 games. We got a whole bunch of, we got one, two, three, four afternoon games. So it's, it's pretty spread out. So uh, let's start with the, uh, with the first game, which is uh Carolina at Indianapolis, Carolina, 20.25 current implied total Colts, 26.75 implied total. Uh, is this one of the weeks where McCaffrey is not like a necessity? Uh. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's hard to say at, at this stage, um, but I, I I do think like the one reason I've really been playing a lot of McCaffrey this year is because of how f- high his floor is. Like, it just seems like he is guaranteed to get to like twenty five points each each week, independent of game script, and he's really benefited uh, in recent weeks and you know his team's losing efforts from just a ton of checkdowns from Kyle Allen and. Yeah, I think with a new quarterback in there, there's just more uncertainty. I, I don't have, uh, you know, a ton of good information on Will Greer. Um, I know Kyle Allen was very check down prone, and I think that really helped out uh, CMC. Um, I think with Will Greer, there's just, you know, more, more uncertainty. Um, as I understand, he's kind of a big-armed quarterback that uh, in kind of this gunslinger-type build, which uh, I would think probably isn't super favorable for McCaffrey. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think he's quite as much of a necessity this week. And I just think it's also one of the weaker matchups he's had in recent, recent weeks. Um, you know, Indiana is pretty solid defense. They're going to be super slow paced. Uh, you know, they're going to try to run the ball against this really bad Carolina rush defense with Marlon Mack and, you know, just two game clock. And, uh, I think that probably is super favorable for, uh, McCaffrey, I think, for me, uh, the more intriguing pieces in this game are on Carolina's wide receiver side. Um, you know, DJ Moore standing out in particular, Curtis Samuel as well. Uh, both these guys, you know, correlate well with uh, Kyle Allen, who I know won't be in there, but, you know, we don't have any uh, regular season correlation data with Will Greer. So if we kind of, uh, you know, assume that they're, these guys' correlation with Carolina quarterback will hold pretty similar. Um, yeah, I figure that's a good spot. Uh you know, for, for one of these guys, uh, Indiana's actually got a pretty porous, uh, you know, secondary have been allowing top six uh, efficiency to opposing receivers in terms of uh, fantasy points per target, fantasy points per air yard, catch rate, stuff like that. Um, so I think pretty a uh, pretty good spot for me to uh, move off of CMC and towards Carolina receivers, uh, especially in a tournament build where, you know, I think there's a good opportunity to kind of catch a lot of people uh, on CMC at $10,000. And you know, I think there's a, a little more risk there than there has been in previous weeks. Will Greer is 4,300 on DraftKings. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you could, uh, you know, stack, stack him up with some of those receivers. Uh, you know, Marlon Mack, I think is a pretty good run back option. Uh, you know, Carolina just so atrocious, atrocious uh, defending running backs on the ground. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think there's a little bit to like here running, running kind of a small, uh, small stack. Carolina receivers, Marlon Mack, uh, Indy. Right, and based on the ownership, I mean, we have Mack at 5% currently. We have Moore and Samuel at 7 and 6%. We got Olsen at 4%. Uh, 
I definitely think this this looked. I mean, for the for the stack size salary wise, this game has a has a has a forty seven total. It's being played in a dome. It's not you know the weather is not going to matter. Uh, Carolina still has a twenty point total. That's nearly three touchdowns. So, like as long as McCaffrey doesn't siphon off as much of the production as he may normally do, like at this ownership, I I, I don't see a reason. I know. The Colts want to run the ball. I know that that the most probable outcome is that the clock is running, that they're going to eat a lot of it. But we always have to think in terms of, like, Carolina gets the ball first and scores immediately, and then the game script kind of flips, where there's a turnover or something like that. Or Marlon Mack scores two touchdowns in the first quarter, and then, then basically the Panthers are throwing the ball the rest of the game. So... Based on based on the the salaries, I mean sixty nine hundred, forty five hundred, a forty three hundred dollar quarterback, a sixty two hundred dollar running back. I mean you're getting, I mean you're getting under twenty k for a full three plus one, at this ownership with no one under over over ten percent. They all correlate. You're telling me they correlate, Stu. So, <laughs> so uh, I think this is a, a very good uh, vomit stack candidate for for a, for a slate, especially when the Panthers are out of it. And I know in the last game they played McCaffrey, like it didn't matter, but maybe this is the game where, where maybe in the fourth quarter, you do see a bona fide and maybe you don't see McCaffrey playing every snap. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I wonder if they, you know, are going to want to be in kind of evaluation mode and give Will Greer kind of the keys to the car for better or worse, you know, to see if he uh, can actually drive it or if it's, you know, a total uh, train crash. Um so, yeah, yeah, I think an interesting spot. Um, I think, uh, you know, Carolina receivers project well, good correlation. Uh, I'm not uh, – I think I'm interested in this game for the pieces other than McCaffrey, which is uh, something we rarely talk about when talking about Carolina. Well, the next game is the Saints at the Titans. The Saints with a 26.5 implied total. The Titans with a 24 implied total. This is one of the, one of the higher – total games on the slate. We have a bunch of high total games on this slate. Uh, from the Titans perspective, obviously Tannehill has been playing well. Uh, AJ Brown has turned into a, a true number one wide receiver, although he's 7,000 on DraftKings. And then the Saints are the Saints. I mean, pretty much it's it's Michael Thomas. It's Alvin Kamara. It's Drew Brees. Maybe you throw in some Jared Cook. But uh, I still make the case every slate that he's on and he's under 10 K uh, is Michael Thomas, the most underpriced player on the whole slate. Yeah. I mean, he, he's kind of the guy I'm focusing on and uh, I don't know from a uh, kind of game stacking standpoint, you know, you talked about how many pretty good total games there are on the slate and this is one of the higher ones, but it's also one that's just extremely priced up. I mean, Titans as a team have really been priced up in the last couple of weeks and um yeah, I mean, I don't know. Too, uh, I know you know Vegas. Vegas uh, odds are pretty effi- are very efficient, but like these are two pretty good defenses. Um, you know, tough matchups for kind of all passing pieces, uh, passing and receiving pieces. Uh, so yeah, just given kind of the elevated price of the uh, game as a whole, uh, just the quality of the defenses and kind of limiting effectiveness through the air, uh, and the fact that they're there's a decent amount of just kind of similarly totaled games that are a lot cheaper. It is a game. I'm not like super interested in building around a ton. I think, you know, I might want to grab 
a couple one-off pieces and work those into other stacks more so than I'm inclined to, uh, you know, build, I guess, around the game. Um, so yeah, Th- Thomas is kind of the guy I would key on as far as uh, just grabbing that one-off piece. Uh, you know, I think Camaro, we, we, you know, people have been kind of uh, underwhelmed with his production near the goal line, uh, you know, in scoring, but uh, I think he's a decent kind of uh, pivot off of Thomas. Uh, you figure it's been going lately where Thomas has been getting a lot, uh, you know, of kind of scoring, uh, production and Kamara's been getting none of it, but, uh, you know, you do set yourself up nicely if you kind of build, uh, with Kamara, you know, on, on the chance that Thomas doesn't get any of that production. I don't know. I, I think it though is, uh, for me, I'd prefer to just kind of stick chalk Thomas with a, uh, more contrarian stack, um, than try to really load up this game with expensive pieces that I think probably will be pretty highly owned to begin with. So, um, I don't know. That's kind of how I'm thinking about this game. What about you? Well, I think I think Michael Thomas will be highly owned. I think uh, I think AJ Brown is going to get some get some ownership. Uh, but but you're right. Like it just the the stack price is so insane. I mean, they could score 50 points, but the production the production could go a ton of different places. Ten Gid could have some long touchdown. But I, Hill, I, think, I mean, just has right. Casey Mill just steals touchdowns left yeah. and right. Who knows? <laughs> but I think with people jumping off of Kamara. And his, his lack of touchdowns, I mean, currently he's projected at 8% and he's 7,500. You tell us that like six weeks ago and he's 30% owned at, at, at this price. So uh, with, with a 26 point total on the same side. So is it, I know, I know that, you know, you, you go through your projection model, you look at the recent form and you do all, you do all the analysis, all the formulas, but, Maybe this is a game Kamara scores three touchdowns and he's 8% owned. But I would agree with you that if I do do that, it probably won't be with Kamara and Thomas together in a line. Yeah, they have a slightly negative correlation. So it's not uh, – that that has come down, I think, in 2018. They actually correlated pretty well together, but it just hasn't been the case this year. And uh, I think I'm kind of willing to trust that 2019 form a little more and uh, you know pick one but not both kind of thing. Okay, next game. We go from uh, from enticing games to kind of, okay, this game exists. Giants-Redskins. Giants with a 20 implied total. Redskins with a 21.5 implied total. The Redskins are favored in this game. Uh, most of the Giants are, are healthy. I mean, we got Shepard. We got Slayton, Tate. Uh, I mean, yes, the, the tight ends aren't, you know, there aren't anything to sneeze at. Uh, and, but I mean, I think the most appealing options in this game are probably the running backs and, and it's going to be weird of me to say, I think the more appealing option in running back at 5,000 is Adrian Peterson. Are you going to tell me I'm crazy? Uh, I don't know. I kind of disagree with you. I think, uh, I'm more interested in the receivers in this game. Uh, these are like the two worst, uh, defenses against the, you know, receivers and, uh, it's a low total game, but I, I actually think there's a a lot of intrigue for me in uh well, there's lot, intrigue, but... but you can t- tell me where this goes. Cause look, I mentioned the giants receivers and then you have like Steven Sims, McLaurin, Harmon, like any of these guys can get there. I agree with you. Yes. Maybe there's a lot of passing and the three touchdowns each side, but like, how, how do I stack this? How do I, how do I do this without like committing like half my liners? Cause I need to like, 
Like, which receivers am I choosing? Yeah, well, I, I think the Giants receiving core is a little – is significantly more confusing. I mean, they have three viable receivers. Uh, you know, Red Ellison's coming back, which he, he's not like, you know, a, a total game plan shifter, but he's just yet another person in there. But I, I don't know. I think the Washington side is pretty straightforward. I mean, McLaurin is the guy. He, uh, you know, has uh, just been getting so much of uh, – Washington's looks and I think you know Steven Sims has kind of factored in as kind of the near uh you know short shorter yardage receiver um I don't know I mean we talked about Greer at 4300 who's like a complete unknown uh Haskins I think has been has been playing better and he's you know priced marginally higher than Greer uh you know okay um but, he, but he's not on. I'd rather I'd rather bet on the unknown than the known. Right at this that, point. Yeah, I, I I get. Yeah, there's a case. I get it. I think sure. if if I, if I were to play Haskins, which I don't think I I am. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, obviously the single stack with McLaurin or something like that. I, I get it. It, it. And then what? I play Barkley on the other side, and, and Barkley's expensive, and, and he's perfectly fine play. But I mean, I just think I think in terms of you know maybe taking a shot on one of the Giants receivers and then playing Adrian Peterson because apparently the Redskins just have no problem just giving him the – I mean, if he's going to get 20 touches at at 5,000 against – and as a favored home team, remember talking about running back performance against the Giants defense with three touchdowns – you know, they have a three-touchdown implied total. It's quite mm-hmm. possible that Peterson has all three touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think he's in play. I, I just I, – I think both these teams are really, really tackable on the outside, and that's kind of how I'd prefer to try to get there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Peterson's cheap. Uh, no Darius Geis in there. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it's uh, don't think it's a terrible idea uh, by any stretch. What do you think of Steven Sims at 4,000? Do you think he's cash viable? Uh, no, not cash viable, but I think he's got – I mean, the thing about the Washington receivers, they correlate really nicely with Haskins. Like – I think it's a potential. Well, obviously, he's the quarterback. Why wouldn't they? Well, I, I, I think they're. I like. I mean, they have massive correlations. I mean, Sims, Sims is point seven one uh, correlation with Haskins, McLaurin point six six. I mean, I think uh, those are on the high side. I mean, we have receivers that uh, I don't know actually do negatively correlate with their quarterbacks. It's uh, how is that possible? Can you explain the math on that one? Yeah, sure. How so you negatively correlate with the guy that throws you the ball. Um, well, the idea being that, uh, you know, when, when a quarterback reaches a game kind of in excess of their, uh, you know, central performance level. Oh, so, uh, so we're talking about ceilings then. Like yeah, they I mean, hit their ceiling. Sure. Yeah. With another receiver ceiling. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the way uh, we are looking at correlation is how, uh, you know, players, performances relate to one another relative to each of those players norms. So like, yes, a, you know, five yard pass to like one guy, I think we, we, I, we, we talked about on Twitter a little bit who had negative correlations quarterback was a uh, Cole Beasley and Josh Allen. And uh, you know, Josh Allen is reaching his ceiling games uh, when he is, you know, running the ball in the red zone uh, and, you know, effectively passing the ball downfield, moving like large yards at a time. Cole Beasley excels when he's getting, you know, 10 targets, all 10 yards or less. And I do think we sometimes see negative correlation between uh, receivers like reaching their ceiling games and quarterbacks failing to reach their ceiling games uh, or, or, you know, 
maybe even reaching a floor, like with some of these short yardage receivers, like these short, you know, Tyler Boyd esque receptions are disproportionately um, helpful to receivers than they are to quarterbacks. Like a two yard catch does really nothing for a quarterback uh, does nothing to help move them, uh, you know, towards their the upper end of their performance scale, but an accumulation of many, many, uh, you know, short, receptions none of which go for touchdowns uh for some of these cheap receivers does help move uh you know them towards their ceiling so um that that's the main reason i i I agree with you i i kind of wanted to make you explain it but that's mm -hmm. the main reason why when i double stack those possession receivers i never single stack with the quarterback i need to get the, the the yardage guy with them so like the danny amendola types you know even though yeah he had a hundred yard game or whatever like I'm more likely to like not single stack him. I'm like, I'll play Galladay with him. So like these, like the Steven Sims, like I wouldn't do Haskins Sims. I would do Haskins Sims McLaurin. I would do like Beasley. You do John Brown with, with John Brown and Josh mm -hmm. Allen. But like, I wouldn't do a Brown Beasley stack. I do a Brown, you know, a, a J uh, an Allen Brown stack but I wouldn't do the single stack with those possession receivers. For sure. Or if you'd like really like the receiver, uh, you know, it's perfectly fine to play receivers and not pair them with their quarterback, right? Like you could run, I think like a very successful lineup last week was probably not Daniel, uh, David Blau running Amendola on an Island and then, uh, you know, going on a Tampa Bay I think that's an or, outlier for him though. Uh, for Amendola or Blau? For Amendola. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think he, he probably benefited a lot from Marvin Jones being out, um, which was, you know, an outlier kind of spot that he was in and that I don't think we've seen a whole lot of kind of Amendola, Sands, Jones games. But anyway, so that that's kind of the thought process. Typically these, uh, you know, downfield receivers, a guy like McLaurin that can create yards after the catch, which are kind of like equally beneficial to running uh, quarterback and receiver these are your guys that typically correlate well with quarterbacks and I think make for the most intriguing, uh, you know, stack options. Um, anyway, so that's a, yeah, it's a, it's a good discussion. A good explanation. People for, should know because then they could apply it to other teams and other slates. And even if you're not on the show, even the show doesn't exist, it's, it's a good learning process. Yep. Yep. But let's go on to the next game, which I, I think is going to be fairly popular on this slate. It's uh, Jacksonville at Atlanta. Jaguars with a 19 and a half implied total currently and uh, the Falcons with a 27 implied total. Uh, I think uh, pieces of this game that are going to be popular. Uh, we're going to see some ownership on Freeman. Uh, I mean, the jet, both these defenses are not anything to write home about. Uh, they're playing indoors in Atlanta. Uh, Fournette's still going to get ownership with his opportunity at 7,200. And then on in the passing game, I mean, we, I think we're going to see, you know, Conley, he was only priced up to 4,300 on DraftKings. I think Keelan Cole is, is an option at 3,600. Uh, and then you got like Julio Jones. He got 19 targets last week without Ridley in that offense at 8,000. And then we got like Hooper at, at 4,400, which seems to be a bit underpriced for what he should be. I mean, I know he was hurt, but now he's coming back to like the target share. Where did it go? Because Sanu's not there anymore and Ridley's not there anymore. So uh, I think there's obvious, you know, Ryan Hooper free. I mean, you could even stack Ryan with Freeman because he's a pass catching running back. You got Jones and then you got cheap wide receivers on the Jaguars and you even have, you know, a pass catching running back for the Jaguars. 
uh, overall, do you think that this game is going to be over-owned for its expectation, or do you think that the pricing is it's it's that it it should be this efficient? It should be this owned. I mean, yeah, I mean, we're looking at more or less the same total and spread as that Carolina game. And I think, uh, yeah, the ownership is going to be way higher on this one. The prices are way higher. Uh, Yeah, it's an interesting exercise of, you know, recent response to recency. Like Julio went absolutely nuts last week. Uh, Conley kind of got in there late. Uh, Westbrook did nothing kind of thing. And I'm actually interested in in the pieces uh, that, didn't perform super well last week. One of whom you touched on was Hooper. I mean, the price is way down, uh, not way down, but it's down for him. Uh, historically, he's had really strong negative correlation with Ridley. Uh, Cause you know, they, they kind of, their ceilings are achieved by kind of the same trait and their ability to get looks uh, in the red zone. And with Ridley gone, yeah, I expect Hooper to, uh, I think benefit in a big way from, from that, uh, from that absence. Uh, you know, Julio, I imagine response, you know, he, he went nuts last week. And uh, I, I think, you know, the logic that him excelling with Ridley gone should, you know, should carry through. Um, but if it is going to be super popular, I'm interested in, I think, going kind of uh, different routes in this game. Hooper, Hooper Ryan uh, really interests me. And, uh, you know, one guy, you know, with the whole Conley and I think Didi was in a perfectly good spot last week, um, you know, just had maybe some run bad. Uh, you know, a guy coming back, DJ Chark, uh, I think is the, uh, you know, the guy on, on the Jacksonville side that I really want to own, uh, you know, Atlanta. Is, is, he, is he going to play or is he just I, questionable? I believe so. I thought I saw reports that he was practicing, uh, had been in practice this week. Um, okay. So we'll need to, I mean, that, that I mean, but, that's a big thing for the yeah. receivers. Cause I mean, if Chark's in like, I mean, cause they priced, Conley and Westbrook up a little. Westbrook at fifty one hundred on DraftKings, forty three hundred for Conley. I mean, it takes Keelan Cole away as a potential upside play at thirty six hundred. But like Chark at sixty three hundred becomes the underpriced one out of the bunch if he's if he's able to fully. Play. I mean, I guess if he if he can play all the snaps, if he could play eighty plus percent of the snaps, I, I agree with you. But this may be the type of thing that we need to look Saturday or even Sunday morning on whether or not he's in. And yes, I would agree with you that I'd be much more inclined to play Shark than any of the other guys. But if Shark's not in, I mean, if this game's going to go back and forth in a dome, like I still think all these, these Jacksonville receivers are playable. Yeah, I, I think so. So uh, the report on Shark is he has been in practice this week and is expected to play. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, probably Keelan Cole is the guy who would, you know, be most uh, hurt by the present, you know, the return of Chark probably just like wouldn't really be on the field hardly at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think even, I mean, even Conley and uh, Westbrook, I think stand to really be hurt by the, the, the presence of Shark. I mean, he's been pretty solid with Minshew and uh, you know, I think uh, you know the, the Atlanta passing attack uh, correlates pretty well with the other, you know, passing on the other side um, or receiving on the other side. So um I think probably I'd be looking at this from a, uh, you know, build around Atlanta pass game and then try to run back with uh, Shark in particular. Like I, I, I really like, and uh, you know, I think he's been a, a real solid receiver this year and just coming back from injury. I do wonder, uh, you know, if people might be a little hesitant to click on him and might be more 
inclined to see, you know, two touchdown Conley at a minimum price uh, hike. Uh, you know, I think think there's uh, maybe some good opportunity for for Shark to come in at under owned. And Shark is the type of receiver that you could single stack with Minshew, and you could play. You could even play a, like a two plus two stack where you're going Minshew Shark, and then running it back with both Freeman and Hooper. Mm-hmm. So you're getting the two cheap instead of Jones. You're getting the two cheaper guys, but you're getting Freeman like in the game script where you know the Jags have to pass. Freeman gets more looks. Maybe yeah. Freeman gets a couple of PPR, five catches, one touchdown, maybe a hundred yard rushing game against the Jacksonville defense. And Hooper gets, you know, five for 60 and a touchdown. And, you know, that he pays off for, you know, at, at 17 points for his salary at 4,400. And you just hope that Julio Jones just has just a nice average 20 point game and it's not going to matter. Which, yeah, I mean, he, it's not like, you know, he, he sometimes can disappear in games. Uh, yeah, I like the sound of that. Uh, you know, Jacksonville, we know we really want to attack on the ground. And, uh, you know, Freeman, I think, does have a, a pass catching floor that, um, you know, is pretty intriguing. So uh, I like the sound of that, that build for sure. Well, going on to the next game, which should seem like a game that we should be targeting at their total, which is, I mean, it's moving up to 49 and a half. But I'm not even sure how you do it because it's a, there's always the case with the Ravens. Ravens 29.75 implied total taking their show on the road to Cleveland to face the Browns with a 19.75 total. Uh, the Ravens are, are easy. Uh, it's Lamar Jackson and how the hell do you stack that as usual? And then you got Cleveland where. Uh, apparently they don't care about the receivers. Last week they didn't seem to care about the receivers anymore. But you have to assume as a as a ten point home underdog that they're going to have to pass. It's not going to be the Nick Nick Chubb show and the Kareem Hunt show. Uh, I mean, wh- what's the stack in this game? Naked Lamar with like one of Jarvis or Odell Beck. I mean, like I just look at like it's the weirdest types of games to stack because like if I stack Mayfield. The best run back is the opposite quarterback. And then if I stack Jackson, it's like the best option is to like not put him with anyone. So like, how do you attack this game? Yeah. I mean, just a combination of, uh, you know, how Jackson gets it done with, with so much, you know, effectiveness from his legs and just how good the Baltimore defense is. I think they're a team that sets up pretty well for just kind of an onslaught build. Uh, like Baltimore's defense is really good. Uh, you know, second, Second matchup between these two teams where, you know, I think, uh, uh, you know, Baltimore is going to do their due diligence on scouting and kind of get get that game plan tightened up. Um, so you, so when yeah, you're saying onslaught, you're saying Jackson, Ingram, Brown, Andrews, just uh, take them all. I, I, well, no, no, I, I would just say, I guess what I'm saying is just not attempting to run back with any Cleveland guys. So, um, you know, either just going Jackson naked or like one guy I like with uh, Jackson is Mark Andrews. Uh, he, he has kind of, multi-touchdown upside that he, he's, you know, sometimes able to get. And Cleveland's actually really bad against tight end. They're probably right behind Arizona in terms of uh, just best tight end matchups. And, uh, but there's, yeah, no, I mean, there, there's no flow chart for that, though. I mean, yeah, it's See, not. That, uh, I feel bad that there's no flow chart for the Browns. <laughs> I Only mean, Arizona gets the flow chart? Why, <laughs> why can't we get multiple flow charts? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess we could. Um, I, like, yeah, I mean Cle- Cleveland's just efficiency against tight ends is really bad. They're they're allowing behind Arizona second most fantasy points per tight end target and tight end air yard. And 
you know, uh, Andrews, I think, has a pretty nice kind of multi-touchdown ceiling that uh, I think few other tight ends have with, like, reasonable confidence. I mean, I guess we saw, like, Ricky Seals-Jones, you know, flowchart his way into two touchdowns last week. But for the most part, there's only, you know, a short stack of tight ends who I think have, like, legit multi-touchdown possibility within their game script. uh, Or, I'm sorry, within kind of their range of outcomes. One of those, George Kittles on the Saturday slate. you know, I think Austin Hooper has a un- unlikely, uh, you know, probability t- towards kind of that path, but I think it's within his range of outcomes. But I think Mark Andrews, uh, you know, actually has kind of a, a pretty nice multi-touchdown possibility. Correlates really well with Jackson historically. Uh, I think that's probably the extent I would go uh, with the Baltimore stack. Or Marquise Brown, I think probably one of uh, Brown or Andrews. But uh, I don't know, just Brown's, uh, you know, time on the you know his kind of low snap count which i think has been pretty well documented this year i don't know it's still always a bit concerning um but yeah that's how i would kind of look at the baltimore side and i mean cleveland just seems like such a mess right now i i'm really having a hard time having a lot of faith in uh in that offense against this really good baltimore defense well talking about good teams let's go to the game with the two worst teams <laughs> Cincinnati at Miami uh, the Bengals with a 23.25 implied total currently Miami with a 22.25 so it's a nearly a pickem game uh typically both of these teams never have i mean these high totals for typically they're under 20 each cuz they're facing a team that's better than them someone has to win this game i mean i guess it could be a tie after overtime, uh, it's picking up a good amount of ownership because a lot of these pieces are cheap, but a lot of them aren't really. So, like, we got – it's going to be, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Andy Dalton. It's going to be Joe Mixon, who is quietly just given 30 touches a game regardless, even if they're down by 400 points. Uh, You got Laird and Gaskin. You know, you got, of course, our Laird and Savior there. I mean, both these defenses are horrible. So, I mean, like, when that – we're not, we're not dealing with their off. The offenses are not skillful, but the defenses are even less skillful. Uh, is it worth it to pay 6,800 on DraftKings for Devonte Parker or 5,800 for Tyler Boyd at nearly around 20% ownership? Because it's not like these are vomit stacks. Cause these prices are like the quarterbacks aren't even that cheap. Dalton's 5,200, Fitzpatrick's 6,000. I mean, typically this would be a vomit stack candidate. I'd be all over this game. But, like, the main two wide receivers are, like, not, like, I could get DJ Chark for these prices. I could, I get, Devontae Parker is, is I could get Keenan Allen for 500 less. So, is this a game as stackable as what people seem to think it is? Or do you think that it's actually more so and we should be looking at guys like Alex Erickson and Albert Wilson, Mike Gazicki, some of the other pieces and, and go that way? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good point in regards to the price. I mean, particularly on Parker, um, I think, yeah, historically, this is a, a kind of a stackable, uh, you know, Miami is a stackable team. Uh, Fitz and Parker have a, an insane like 79% correlation. Um but yeah, I mean, the prices are getting up there. Um, and I do think there are some intriguing pieces. I do, I do think kind of the Cincinnati side's a little more uh, 
just efficiently or, or, or just a, a kind of at better price points. Like I think uh, Miami is a, just as good a defense to attack as Cincinnati. And I think, you know, Dalton obviously has less upside than Fitzpatrick in regards to his rushing and, and passing as well. Um, but yeah, I do think like a guy like Alex Erickson uh, pairs pretty nicely with Dalton and kind of would be a way to get some cheap, uh, you know, some cheap ownership in this game. Um, I'm sorry, he's, he's being projected for 5% ownership. I mean, like a lot of this game is being projected for mixing 17%. I mean, I'm just, I'm not saying that they're bad plays. I'm just like, like I look at that Carolina Colts game and I'm looking at the Carolina, like DJ Moore is $100 more than Devonte Parker and a fourth of the ownership. Like what makes, what makes that a fit? Like, is it four times more likely that Parker hits a ceiling than Moore does? I just, I just, yeah, I don't, if, I don't if, think if the so, ownership uh, was flipped, I'd be saying the opposite thing. So like to me in this game, I feel like, like maybe I take a, a bunch of Joe Mixon and like call it a day. Yeah. Um, but at 17, I mean, that, that still sounds like he is. Yeah. But for a running back in that range, okay. that isn't like absurd or anything. Because remember if, if I'm building a vomit stack, if I'm playing 5% don't stack, like I don't care. Like running backs are much more narrow range than any other position. Like mm-hmm. I don't mind loading up on chalk running backs if I'm if I have a two percent owned receiver and a two percent owned quarterback. Yeah. What uh What are y'all's ownership projections for Fitzpatrick and Parker? Uh, I mean, quarterback ownership is all spread out. Nine for Dal- Dalton, seven for Fitzpatrick, which for quarterbacks is actually above average. Okay. Yeah. I guess more so for Parker. Um... Yeah, Parker's at twenty. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, but he's sixty eight hundred. I mean, it's not to me. He's he's efficiently priced. Yeah, I mean, per uh, you know, per dollar, I don't think Parker is is a super great value by any stretch of the imagination. I think you're really just playing him for uh, you know correlation properties with his quarterback and the other side. Um, but uh, it does feel like there might be equally good uh, probably better kind of medium projectable options and probably just as good maybe not quite as good kind of correlation plays as parker but uh you know at lower ownership higher just better value uh could be a route to go um you know i, I do think uh from cash game uh perspective I, I really am intrigued by dalton i think he's at a really low price and just has a great matchup uh so I, I uh, you know, I think he's an interesting play there for, for cash purposes. Um, John Ross, I mean, has, you know, big up, big play ability. He just hasn't really been used the same way uh, he was early in the season uh, since returning from injury and uh, does feel a little thin to uh, try to try to get too much out of that. Um, I, I can't really there's no evidence that would suggest that his playing time is going to increase uh, this week compared to the last two weeks. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. For me, I think maybe more of an interesting game for cash purposes than uh, than tournament, just given kind of the, the elevated price points. Okay, let's go to the next game, which is going to should be a quick one, I believe. Pittsburgh, Jets, Steelers with a 20 implied total, Jets with a 17 implied total. Uh in your model, Stu, yeah. how much weight do you put on revenge? Uh, about zero. Uh, I might okay, be, so Le'Veon I might, Bell doesn't might get be, an increase. Might be rounding, but uh, no, I mean. No, Le'Veon it, Bell is, doesn't get an increase. I mean, uh, it, based on, I mean, I, I, I use uh, Cardi's Blitz. Based on the, the his projections, 
in this game, Bell is the best point per dollar play. Like not on mm. the slate. I'm just talking about in this game. Oh, okay, gotcha. And like no one, like it's like Bell and Connor, and then it's a 37 implied total with like a Steelers team that is not really looking to shoot the shoot out. I mean, they're looking to make the playoffs with with Duck Hodges at the quarterback, and a Jets defense that typically stops the run more than the pass. Uh, I it's it's very hard to figure that this game turns into a shootout. It's a 37 implied total. Uh, I'm assuming this correlation and obviously correlations, but what what are the chances of any of these guys hitting a ceiling in this game? Yeah, pretty low. Um, I don't know. We I haven't looked closely at everyone in the game, but I would guess Bell is you know point per dollar projecting the best for us. And I don't know. He's not projecting, I guess, terribly from a median standpoint, but. The guy has just shown, you know, no extra gear this year. Uh, really, the only play I'm interested in this game is Pittsburgh defense. Um, uh, you know, I think uh, other than that, there, there's really not uh, too much to like. The Jets, we typically want to attack uh, on the outside with receiver. But, um, yeah, just the, those Pittsburgh I mean, you receivers. can take a shot. Like, if you want to take a shot on Johnson or Washington, I mean, but to me, those are one-off plays that you throw in you know, they're 1%, 2% owned type yeah. of things and hope for, you know, a 90-yard touchdown. And I, I, yeah. I think that's perfectly fine. Maybe, but I don't, I don't see stacking – I don't see stacking a quarterback with either of them. Yeah, no, maybe a Deontay Johnson, uh, Pittsburgh D double dip. Uh, oh, a double dip. He's doing the double dip. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I, there, I, I have, like, actually no notes on this game other than that both these defenses are good. Um uh, yeah, Pittsburgh DST uh, is actually projecting pretty favorably points per dollar for us. So uh, I don't know. I think paying up at defense is always a bit contrarian, especially when it's with a team other than the Patriots. So uh, yeah, if you can get a defensive touchdown uh, out of Pittsburgh, that, that, that could be a could be a decent spot there. But other than that, not much. Okay, let's go now to a more popular game: the Raiders, Chargers, Oakland. Nineteen point two five implied total. Chargers twenty six point two five. Fly total, which they're at home, but it's been, that's barely home field advantage there. I admit there may be more Raiders fans than Chargers fans at that game. Yeah. Uh, we have two of the highest owned, the highest projected owned players in this game, and they're, they're I would assume they're correlated with each other on opposite sides of the game, and that one yeah. is 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 DeAndre Washington with Jacobs not in uh, the. DraftKings has not priced him up. He's four thousand. Uh, he's going to get basically going to get Jacob's workload. Uh, there seems to be no reason why he shouldn't be popular. And then on the other side, correlated with the run game of one team is the pass game of the other. And uh, Keenan Allen getting double digit targets at sixty three hundred. He figures to be one of, if not the most popular wide receivers uh, outside of maybe Michael Thomas. The popular wide receivers on this slate is there. Any reason not to outside of those two? Like I could see if you're going to play a GPP lineup and you're playing very contrarian and go, well, I'll just jam in Washington and Allen as a secondary correlation. I think that's fine in, with with a one percent own type of stack, you know, contrarian stack. But if you're not going to do that, is there a way to stack this game where either you're getting leverage? Like on on the Chargers, I could see like playing Rivers and Mike Williams, and not playing Keenan Allen, and then playing DeAndre Washington as the run back, like would make sense. But is there a way to do this where you still play both those two guys and still end up being different somehow? 
Yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, both those two guys, I think, excellent cash plays. Uh, Keenan's projecting as our best uh, per dollar receiver. Um, So I think in play in a huge way there in cash. Um, Yeah, I think both of them also just make a lot of sense as kind of not a piece of a primary uh, stack, but just a nice little like secondary uh, kind of running back wide receiver stack within another stack from a different game. Uh, I think the tight ends are interesting. I mean, both both teams are uh, really attackable at tight end, allowing, uh, you know, top six efficiency uh, to opposing tight end. Uh, Los Angeles, maybe a little worse against tight end than Oakland. Um, but it's tough. I mean, so like the matchups would appear, you know, to be good. Um, but there is, I think, some just factors working against each tight end that uh, – are a little tough. I mean, uh, Hunter Renfro, I think, is supposed to return for Oakland, and I think uh, there's been pretty good coverage of just his negative correlation with Darren Waller. You know, the presence of Hunter Renfro, for whatever reason, seems to really work against Darren Waller. And, uh, you know, if you buy it, we actually have a decent amount of data points on that, such that uh, I don't think it's unreasonable to buy into that. Uh, and that would figure not out well for Darren Waller. Uh, and then Hunter Henry, uh, just just a crowded uh crowded Oakland uh, I'm sorry Los Angeles offense there's a lot of uh mouths to feed and to me like Keenan Allen seems to be the most consistent uh you know you used piece in in that offense uh Hunter Henry ha- has uh well he in his kind of initial return from injury it was really heavily utilized but uh it does seem like his uh targets have been a little more up and down as of late uh I think those are you know interesting ways to They'll get off of Keenan Allen and DeAndre Washington. Uh, however, I think you know the, the those two chalky plays are actually pretty good chalk, in my opinion. What do you think of the correlation or negative correlation? What do you think between them of playing Washington and someone like Gordon or Eckler together? Uh, yeah, I don't have any notes in front of me in regards to uh, you know, and Washington's a tough guy to capture correlation on because like our data will show his historic correlation with different pieces. Um, But we really only have a sample of one in terms of, uh, you know, his correlation as, you know, the role that he's going to be in. So can you just use just Raiders running back in general and just go, just go like the run that just, as long as I think it's more the fact of it's not even the Raiders, just how, how much is Gordon or Eckler correlative to the opponent's running back, regardless of the matchup. Because I think in terms of Gordon and Ecker are both like pass catching running backs. Because we have a, here at RG Gordon at sixteen percent projected ownership at fifty six hundred. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Eckler sixty one hundred will have less, uh, but they both have ceilings. Like, which yeah. do you do you think the ceilings correlate to? Like, Washington doesn't have to smash. Like, Washington doesn't have to get like twenty plus points at four K. But if he gets 15, if Washington gets a touchdown, maybe four catches, 80 yards, that type of game, like, and you have to use another running back slot in addition to him. I'm just trying to figure out whether or not if you wanted to pivot off of a chalky Keenan Allen and still wanted to have correlation, would Gordon or Eckler be it? Yeah, so the data would suggest no. Uh in 2019, Melvin Gordon's had a, a pretty bad uh, or pretty negative, uh, you know, I'm not necessarily saying correlation is good or bad, but for the purposes that we're talking about, negative correlation would be bad. 
had has negative 51% correlation with opposing running backs, running backs opposing the chargers, Austin Eckler, negative 32%. So, uh, the data would suggest that, uh, in games when, where either of those guys excel, uh, you know, I don't want to introduce causation here, but there there's, you know, correlation that would suggest that, uh, it's, more likely for opposing running backs to fail in games when either of those guys succeed. Uh, Eckler to less of an extent than Gordon, um, but both of them. And I'm looking also at uh, Josh Jacobs correlation with opposing running backs. And uh, obviously DeAndre Washington is not Josh Jacobs, but for the reasons we talked about in regards to DeAndre Washington sample size, so Josh Jacobs has a negative 18% correlation with opposing running backs uh, that oppose Oakland. So, it uh, the data would suggest not a great game to uh, shoot for kind of that uh, cross running back correlation, but um, I mean you know it's uh, it could happen. You never yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. It's, it's a lower probability. That's a better sure. way of putting it. Exactly. Perfect. Because uh, yeah, correlation is just a pattern, not a uh, you know uh, not binary. Law. Like yeah, yes or no. Right. For sure. Yeah. It's not like a law of causation. It's a Pattern yeah. pattern of exactly. correlation. Yeah. Multiple. Can we do synonyms? Can I look up synonyms? Can we do that? <laughs> let's um, go to let's go to the the, the next game, which is a, probably a flyover game. Uh Detroit, Denver, Lions with a 15 and a half implied total, the lowest on the slate. Oh Broncos with a 22 implied total. Oh what do you do in this game? Because like this is, and, oh, it's Bobbitt Stacks. Look, I could pair what I, I, I still look at this and I go, uh, yeah, I guess you could play Gortland Sutton for a ceiling. I guess you could play Galladay for a ceiling. I guess you could take a shot on like Amendola for a PPR type of game. I guess you could take a shot on like Lindsey or Freeman, depending on how the, the carries, the, the snaps balance out there. But like, what you, is there anything to do in this game? Yeah, not really. I mean, Philip Lindsay is the, the one guy I would maybe call to attention. Just Detroit has been uh, really attackable at running backs, catching the ball out of the backfield. Um, and I think Philip Lindsay is probably the the Denver running back that profiles the best there. But I mean, he's in. There was a brief period where we were getting like Lindsay kind of near bell cow work, but he, I believe, has fallen kind of back to a pretty substantial committee. Um, but Detroit is really attackable uh, with running backs, uh, you know, out of the backfield. I think they – I'm just – I noted their kind of allowance to Tampa Bay running backs last week, which aren't like a particularly, you know, uh, catch-heavy committee. And, you know, six targets, four catches, 62 yards. Uh, you know, the, D- Detroit has really had a hard time stopping uh, running backs, catching the ball out of the backfield. But um, – you know, with, with as seven point favorites, I'm just not sure that there's going to be too much opportunity for Lindsay to get involved in a big way in the passing game. So, uh, yeah, I don't, not too much to like here. Next game, there's maybe a lot to like. It's going to be popular. Arizona, Seattle, Cardinals with a 20.75 implied total currently. Seattle with, uh, with what looks like the large, the highest total in the slate, 30 and a quarter. Uh, Russell Wilson fares to be the highest-owned quarterback on the slate on DraftKings at 7,000. Both Lockett and Metcalf stand to figure double-digit ownership on DraftKings. And uh, Carson has been priced up to 8,500, but he's still going to carry 
you know, 10 to 15% ownership here. We have Drake coming off a four touchdown game on the other side. And then we also have the, the wide receivers on the Cardinals, Fitzgerald Kirk. And then the, you know, the birds, the Coopers, the Isabellas, you know, they typically put out a lot of wide receivers there. Uh, do you think that, I think that this is an, a very appealing game environment. I, I would agree with, with the ownership of that. The game environment's good. Do you think that these result, the outcomes for individuals in this game could tilt dramatically in different directions enough where it may be better to single stack this game and not double stack? Uh Yes. I mean, I think, I think the, with Seattle, they have been, yeah, like the, I think the way you would handle this game on the Seattle side really depends heavily on how you expect it to go. I mean, Seattle went up big is going to run the ball. Um, so I think that like, there, there's kind of just two, you know, scenarios I want to kind of branch off of. And there's the, there's the Seattle, you know, covering the spread, dominating Arizona. And I think that is a, scenario where I'm probably going to yeah want to be skinnier with the stacks like I think going just straight Carson and then running the Arizona receiving side of you know Kyler and Kirk is probably the preferred approach I would take uh there I think uh like you said Russ is I think going to be pretty popular and uh I don't know I think Russ has a legit floor. Like when Seattle gets up big, I think Carroll is pretty happy to just run the ball a bunch. And, uh, you know, I think uh, there's a decent chance that could happen. So uh, there's kind of that game script, which I think really lends itself towards uh, just running like Carson and then, you know, a short stack on the other side. Um, Because I'm I'm looking at it from a perspective of price. mm -hmm. Like I could see, obviously – Wilson, Lockett, Metcalf would be like the passing stack. Or you could even throw in Hollister because of the flow chart, right? Yeah. 200, you got to do that. Arizona, the original flow chart. And the Browns are sitting there going, hey, what about our flow chart? <laughs> yeah. But I could, at these prices, Lockett is 7,600, Metcalf is 5,900. Like Lockett needs, I mean, Lockett needs a 100-yard kind of two-touchdown type of game to pay off for GPP value which to me takes off from Metcalfs, who's almost 6K by himself. And Kirk is 5,600. So like I, I look at this from a perspective of if I'm going to play Wilson with both Lockett and Metcalf, like I need, I need everything. I need Carson to pretty much die and get none of the production. So that's why like I'm more inclined if I'm going to, because they're all high owned. So like, by, by playing Wilson with the two wide receivers, I'm not gaining. I'm like, the differentiation isn't even there. So I need yeah. to get that right and still have to get the rest of my lineup right. So I think I'm more inclined to, if I'm going to play a stack of Seattle, do just Wilson to Lockett, hope Lockett gets 45 points, or do Lock, do Wilson to Metcalf and hope Lockett's sitting there with two catches for 12 yards and Metcalf has three touchdowns, and then running it back with just one of Kirk or one of Fitzgerald or even Demir Bird or something. Or doing the same with the Murray, just doing Murray to Kirk, not like the two wide receivers and just hope that all the production tilts towards one wide receiver. So I'm not stuck there with high owned pieces and one of them with nine points. And it's like, I didn't gain any. Yeah. I mean, I think the Wilson Lockett Metcalf is a pretty pricey and uh, likely to be high owned. And 
we, we talked about earlier in the year how Lockett and Metcalf actually correlated pretty well together. And that, that's tapered off in uh, the second half of the season to the point where Lockett's got super high correlation with Wilson, but really not good correlation with other uh, receiving pieces in Seattle. And I think actually the uh, in common in conjunction with, uh, you know, just the excellent tight end matchup and the way that the two guys are correlating in the receiving game well together. I think actually the preferred Seattle double stack for me would be Wilson Hollister, uh, Metcalf, Christian Kirk on the other side. Uh, Those, those guys Hollister and Metcalf have actually shown really good correlation with each other. Uh, 59% positive is like a really high correlation between two receiving pieces. Uh, And then Hollister and Wilson and Hollister and Metcalf alone have actually correlated really well together. Uh, Wilson Hollister, 64%, Wilson Metcalf, 47%. Uh, And both Hollister and and, uh, Metcalf actually correlate well with receiving options on the other side, Uh, 40% positive correlation for Metcalf, 50% positive correlation for Hollister. So for me, um, the, the, if I am going to try to double stack this game, really the correlation on, and really all, you know, assets, all, all pieces that is really coming together is actually Wilson, Metcalf, Hollister, Arizona receiver, probably Christian Kirk, um, just given Larry Fitzgerald's kind of, uh, I mean, talk about dying on the field uh, like that. That's, that's kind of how, if I am really going to stack up the Seattle side, uh, yeah, total just fade of uh, like, yeah, Wilson and Carson in any lineup just makes really no sense uh, given kind of how this team operates. And I don't, I don't think that, you know, that's uh, completely earth shattering news, but um, yeah, if I am going to double stack, I, I think uh, avoiding Lockett and going with the two cheaper uh, kind of secondary and tertiary pieces of Hollister and Metcalf is, is probably the way I would want to go. The last game on the slate is the one that's going to decide who wins the worst division in the history of NFL football, uh, the NFC East. Uh, I would, I, I'm not even sure what their records are, but I, I isn't like the, the the division winner is going to have a losing record. <laughs> I mean, it's think, Dallas, Philadelphia, right? Yeah, I think there's routes to uh, getting to 500 or maybe one game over. Uh, they're both sitting at 500. So, okay, uh, so so someone has someone's going to have a winning record. Uh, yeah. Dallas has a 24 implied total. Uh, the Eagles have a 22 and a half implied total. Uh, we got uh, a, a, an Eagles passing attack that has like no one. Uh, there's there I don't know. It's Greg Ward and Ertz and Goddard and Arcega Whiteside sitting there doing nothing. Uh, we got running backs that Miles Sanders, Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, we got quarterbacks that should be good, but may not be. I mean, if you look on paper, you go Carson Wentz versus Dak Prescott. You think this is a good matchup, but maybe not this season as much. Uh, what do you see in this game? Because I view this game as stackable in a single st- – and, like, to me, if I'm going to stack Dallas, it's going to be with just one of Gallup or Cooper and not both of them with Prescott. And I'm much more inclined to look at the Eagle side and play like when Sanders Ertz, some type of combination like that and run it back with Zeke because it's not like this total is low. It's 20, it's 46 and a half. So like the P like it's going to be owned somewhat. Like these are not like single digit owned pieces, but they're not like as owned as the rest of the slate. Uh, 
I could obviously see a case where this game is 10 to six and like, it doesn't like, this is, this ends up being a dud, but I think that the pricing in this game leads it to being stackable. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm mostly looking at this game, uh, just for Zeke. Um, I think Philadelphia started the season as a pretty good run defense and have just really fallen off and actually been a pretty bad run defense in the first, uh, two months of the season, September and October, they were allowing, uh, you know, kind of around league average per rush attempt efficiency, uh, in November and December, they're allowing the fourth most adjusted fantasy points per rush attempt to opposing running backs. Um, so I'm actually looking at this game, uh, more like Zeke to me is the most intriguing piece. Um, uh, I don't know. You, you, you did touch on Ertz who, who I, you know, think is, uh, in a good spot. I mean, the, like you said, Philadelphia's just got no one, uh, not no one to catch balls, but they're, 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 they're kind of a larger, larger target share pieces are all on injured reserves, uh, or, or in act going to be inactive for this game. So Ertz, I think is really compelling. Um, I it sounds like I'm a little less interested in this game uh, than you are, but um, yeah, I just total... see good. I just see good quarterback. I mean, on paper, if you told me Carson Wentz and Dak Prescott were in a game, you'd be mm. like, oh, two, two good quarterbacks, two percent and three percent though. Yeah, and well, Dak and, and they and Dak has rushing upside when he does if he can run. I mean, like I know that it maybe is a finger problem. I mean, there are a lot of question marks in this game. I'm not saying like I'm jumping right in, mm-hmm. but if we just take out any type of recency bias and looked at these quarterbacks and looked at the game and go, well, Philadelphia doesn't really have any, like any receivers, but Wentz has to throw the ball to someone. And then you take a look at the Zeke is we've seen Zeke at nine K in the past. We've seen Amari Cooper at eight K and Gallup at seven K. And I go, if you take out the recency by recency, recent form that these teams are have been playing poorly, like there's a case where they just both decide to wake up in a game that made that is most likely going to decide who makes the playoffs. Why why not just use the kind of uh, serendipitous kind of anything butterfly effect type of type of thing going? Maybe these two teams end up playing well and this ends up being a thirty eight to twenty one type of game or something or some sixty plus point total. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, I think uh, th- for me, the Dallas side is a little more intriguing, um, I guess, from a correlation standpoint. Dak has correlated well with uh, those receivers, although if memory serves, uh, Gallup and Cooper in particular don't really correlate well with one another. Um, but I do think it's probably an opportunity to maybe pick one of those guys that you like. Um don't really have much of an opinion on, you know, medium projection, which one projects better. Gallup's uh, 1200 cheaper. So like if, if you, if, I, I'm not, I'm of the type, if you're going to play a one-off, if you're not the stacking and you have both of them, yeah, like I, I would just like throw them in your pool, whichever one fits. fits. Gotcha. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. You know, Prescott and Gallup have correlated really well so far this year, positive 67%. Uh, Amari, not that far behind, but still at 49% correlation with Prescott is a little, um, you know, a little, seems like there's a little less uh, kind of correlation there between those two. Um, let's see. I'm pulling up Amari and Gallup. Oh, they've actually correlated well together. 58, uh, positive 58%. Uh, percent. So um, 
I don't know, maybe, maybe actually is a, a decent spot to to run them together. Uh, I convinced you, maybe. No, I, <laughs> I'm going to run them together anyway. But, I mean, I, I, I get it. Just at the prices, I just don't like the stack size. Yeah. From an overall perspective on the slate, I think there there are some clear games to target and the clear games not to target. But that just means in, in the scope of variance in, in NFL football, that it may end up being the complete opposite. So like, like, yeah, there, there, there are ways that the lions can put up points against the Broncos and maybe you go for maybe Levy and Bell gets his revenge. (laughs) I don't think Adam Gates lets him do it. I think that's the problem. Like I would be more inclined like Levy and Bell at 5,800 facing the Steelers. Like I wouldn't mind using him other than the fact that like, I just don't trust the coach. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been pretty interesting to see uh, how some of these, uh, like Devontae Parker in particular, has really blossomed now that Adam Gase is gone. Um, and in Drake, look at him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a uh, yeah. He uh, who would have thought Kenyon Drake would be more valuable in fantasy than David Johnson? Yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. Uh, On the same team, obviously not if they played for the Dolphins or anything. That he's sitting there. Some people in there their season long are like, I spent the first round draft pick on David Johnson. And now he's like third on the depth chart yeah. for the Cardinals. Yep. Um, so what are, you, you said there are some clear games to avoid uh, outside of just the egregiously low total games. Are there any uh, kind of high total games that you have your, you have pegged as just places you want to stay away from? Uh, Probably for just the, the Saints Titans, other than the, like Thomas or Kamara. Yep, I'm with the, you on uh, that one. The Ravens, Browns, outside of maybe like Naked Lamar, which I typically don't do in GPP anyway. Yeah. Uh, and then like not going overboard on a game like Atlanta, Jacksonville, or Cincinnati, Miami, or Arizona, Seattle. They're, those are those are good game environments, but I just think not going. I think the field is going to go more overboard. They're, the pieces could get there, but maybe not all together. Gotcha. So I'm more, I'm, I'm less inclined to fade. Like a lot of times I, I may take a chalk game and just fade all the pieces. I don't feel like this is the type of slate where I'm just going to say, I'm going to have no Julio. I'm, I'm not going to have no Mike, Michael Thomas. I'm not going to have any Keenan Allen. It seems like the type of game where I'm not going to have all the pieces together. So I'm sharing similar correlations with everyone throughout the course of a 200,000 person tour. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. No, I'm on board with you. That that Tennessee uh, New Orleans game feels like a, a spot I'm kind of interested in staying away from, even though it's got one of the nicer totals on the slate. So advanced sports analytics, everyone could go there. Dot com, right? Dot com. Answer yep. sports analytics.com. Yep. Follow you on you 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 are on the advanced sports analytics account. You don't have you don't have your own like. Yeah, program. no, I uh, yeah don't have personal Twitter. Okay, so uh, that is you. Yeah, yeah, I manage it. Brandon chimes in here and there. Um, but, yeah. Um, yeah, man, well, thanks for jumping on this afternoon. Uh, thanks to Devin. Uh, like, I don't know, it's been a fun season uh, working with you and Travis and a little bit of Dean there early in the season. So just want to shout you guys out for, uh, you know, helping us uh, along the way and uh, working with us and, uh, you know, providing some good insight. And, uh, you know, Devin just organizing the shows each week and uh, doing the production side of things. Really, really appreciate the professional job you guys have done uh, with all of that so much thanks uh, this will well, be our last last show this uh, season so well even if even if i wasn't hosting the show but 
even with Travis, even before I was on before one of the, uh, this, this is the show that I look forward most each week. To listen. Oh, sweet. Well, we uh, humbly appreciate it. Uh, so, so hopefully you're back next year. Hope so too. Okay. So for Stuart, I'm Jordan Cooper. And this was the advanced sports analytics show on rotogrinders.com. 